Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investor podcast. My name's Frank Flegg. I'm the founder of Ethical Property Partners, the place where we help you to make annual returns on your properties on a monthly basis. In this episode, I'm going to be covering the five biggest mistakes that I see sophisticated, experienced investors, so those that many of us would look up to making all of the time. These mistakes are sometimes just a bit annoying and cause the investors to stagnate a bit or to lose a bit of money or not to make as much as they would otherwise lose. And these mistakes I have actually seen flatten investors where they have lost everything. And I'm not talking about two or three investors. I'm talking about 20 or 30 investors whose names I could give you. Of course, I won't. Who have been flattened, have lost everything because of making these five mistakes. I'm going to run through them now. I'm going to give you as much flesh on the bone as I can. If you want to ask me more questions about these and the best place to do that is on our YouTube channel, you can go find us, Sophisticated Property Investing or Ethical Property Partners or Frank Flegg on YouTube. All of them will bring up our YouTube channel. You'll see me, you'll see us, Sophisticated Property Investors, talking about, presenting about the deals that we're doing and the strategies that we use in a different format it's different content to this this is long form i can give you a lot of detail that's short and punchy but we cover a wider variety of uh, topics so you have that as a forum to ask questions as well so let's crack on with number one mistake now these aren't in order i don't think number one happens more than number five but i think the five together happen really frequently and I've in preparation for this podcast I've thought to myself right think of all the sophisticated property investors I know and some of them just seem to do better every year and they're the ones that are educating themselves they're the ones that are investing in mentorship they're investing in increasing their knowledge they'll think nothing of flying to the states for a week to do a seminar they'll think nothing of putting £20,000 down for six months of mentorship to learn a skill from a mentor because at this level at a fairly sophisticated level they know the basics they know they're a jack of all trades but they're continually trying to hone those skills so I have investors who do that on a regular basis and continue to increase their returns I also know investors that seem to not make as much money as they could sometimes completely obliviously they think that they're doing really well because they're making more than they used to. They think that they're really safe because they have been for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But actually, when I look at their situation, I think, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Or if I was in your shoes, I'd be taking drastic action right now. And they're just obliviously paddling their canoe down the river. So number one, and this is so simple, but I see it all the time. Many successful investors, when they reach a certain level of success, stop doing what was working for them and start doing something else in effect they get bored and I have seen this not five times not ten times but 20 30 40 times and I've seen a lot of my clients go through this as well where they're like yeah I'm doing five or six or seven or eight deals a year yes I'm making 20,000 pounds a deal yes I'm adding to my passive income by 100 or 200 quid a month so and let's just break that down for a minute if someone's doing eight deals a year and they're making, let's say, 25 grand on each deal in equity, then they're adding £200,000 to their net worth 
every single year. That's massive because also all those properties are going up in value over time as well. So the compound effect of that is over five years, you don't add a million pounds to your net worth, which you do add a million pounds, but then you've got the compound effect of the ones you bought in year one have now gone up quite a lot. The ones that you bought in year two have gone up a bit. The ones that you bought in year three have gone up a bit less, but they've all gone up in value over time. Obviously, statistically, you could have a year where they all go down in value. At the moment, we're seeing 10% inflation. Well, that will translate into the property market at some point. So if your property goes up by 10% in a year, then that's massive. So you've bought £200,000 worth of property, worth of equity rather, not property. If you think about 25% loan to value mortgage, that means you've got four times as much in the value of the properties. So a £25,000 deposit has bought you a £100,000 property. £200,000 worth of deposit has bought you £800,000 worth of property. So your two hundred grand's worth of equity is there, but your £800,000 worth of property has gone up by 10%. You've got another £80,000 there that year. And then another £80,000 if the property market continues to go up at that rate on both last year's properties and this year. So it's another £160,000 worth of equity. A lot of detail there, but the long and short of it is I've seen so many investors. That, by the way, is such a winning strategy from a cash flow perspective. Let's just say they all make £150 a month. Some will make 100 some will make 250 but let's call it 150 a month. That is £800 plus £400, £1,200 a month on their passive income. So that's not a breathtaking amount in year one because it's 1200 pounds but in year two you add another 1200 pounds that's 2400 and in year three you add another that's 3600 but by this point rents have started going up so by the time you add another 1200 actually the 3600 might have gone up to 4000 you got 4000 plus 1200 5200 and before you know it you can be on a really good income in just five short years and some people go oh, five years is too long but no it's not it's not too long to do it safely that's a life-changing investment of five years and I, it's so funny when you hear people who go well I'm 55 I, I haven't got time to wait five years to reach financial freedom you think what you spent 55 years getting to the point where you've got zero passive income and a net worth that is paltry in comparison to your income and you're not willing to invest five years to transform that into financial freedom. It, the mind does boggle, it really boggles sometimes. But a successful investor has already got the idea of investing and they're doing deals every few months or, or a few deals a year and they've built themselves a portfolio and then they get bored and that's the biggest mistake I see they go and do something else and stop doing what was working for them now I have nothing against doing something else in fact I would encourage it it's part of that growth it's part of stepping outside your comfort zone it's a part of learning but you have to keep doing what's working so you have to keep buying those five six seven eight properties a year that are adding 200 grand a year to your net worth that are adding 1200 pounds a year to your passive income so that's the first mistake i see they get bored and stop doing what was working for them and some of them never restart <laughs> number of people i've spoken to have gone yeah i stopped and then it got a bit harder so i sold them all and you think yeah but that was a winning strategy for you and you sold them all and, and never carried on doing what's working so that's mistake number one that experienced or sophisticated investors often make 
Mistake number two is a really common one with people who transform their financial environment their financial landscape so this I've seen with people who have got as Brad Sugars would say fat and lazy so the investor who's got themselves enough properties that their passive income outstrips their monthly cost of living so they don't need to work anymore they don't need to do any more deals they can just probably get by on two or maybe three hours of work a week maybe a bit less maybe a little bit more they have plenty of money coming in a month and that plenty of money might be four grand a month it might be 40 grand a month it depends on their cost of living but they've basically got a portfolio that um, is nicely leveraged so it's not leveraged to the hill they've got nice cash flow coming on in off it obviously the cash flow gets better and better with inflation because whatever mortgages they've got are usually interest only and and so the amounts and the payments are fixed they are just really comfortable now this is what most novice investors strive for most novice investors strive to get to that position where they are covering all of their bills only having to work a a few hours a week their time is basically a hundred percent theirs or 95 percent theirs they can do whatever they like and that's what people strive for it's not actually that healthy and what i have seen with investors that have got to this stage in many situations is they go into a kind of self-destruct mode now it's not self-destruct like you sometimes see with lottery winners where it's wild parties and they you know are, are hitting the cocaine and they can't stop spending you know they're, they're going to harrods and dropping six figures of an afternoon and it's not that kind of self-destruct but it's the kind of self-destruct that's slow and it's a slow attrition and what i've seen is it's where investors don't create a passion for themselves they don't fill the void so it just remains a void they often will then start to drink because they're bored more and more they might start eating unhealthily they might start gambling i have seen one guy did so well for himself financially um in fact i invited him into a mastermind i was setting up a mastermind just four of us and obviously i'm not going to name any names and there's going to be four of us and um we're all at similar stages of finishing our businesses as in getting them to run without us he's since gone and uh, traveled the world actually i chatted to the other two guys and they were like yeah that'd be really good because we were basically saying let's help one another to finish faster and i said to everyone what what night of the week would work best and they said well we all are back on a sunday from our weekends away or whatever we all work a monday which is interesting isn't it they don't have to work but they all choose to work a monday because they like to get stuck into the week so a monday night would be perfect so three of us me and two of the guys said yeah monday night would be great and i spoke to the final guy and he said oh i can't do a monday night and i said what do you mean i said like have you got a commitment or something he said no no but i, I go partying on a weekend and i said yeah yeah this is monday night though and he said oh frank i don't even function till tuesday <laughs> And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you do as many drugs as I do, it takes a little while for them to like get out of your system. So, yeah, I normally have a bed day on a Monday. I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine partying so hard on a weekend that you can't actually like work until a Monday. Like you can't go out for dinner. It was a dinner on a Monday. Dinner on a Monday is what we were proposing for this mastermind. So, yeah, and it really opened my eyes. And I had a chat about it with him, actually. And, yeah, he just really enjoyed the drugs. And it definitely had an impact on on his business, etc. But, you know, I'm not judging. But I have seen people where it's got to an unhealthy level and it's gone in a downward spiral. And I've seen relationships fail. Isn't that ironic? 
you work really hard with your spouse to make ends meet and you bring your kids up and you scrimp and save and you finally get some financial uh, cushion, you know, some financial comfort and you go into a self-destruct that leads to you losing your spouse, perhaps your kids, perhaps hitting the bottle or all the drugs. I've actually seen it with investors where they become hypochondriacs and it's almost like they just need a focus. They need to focus on something. And I think that's partly why I want to work forever. And I know that sounds really weird and most of you listening go, that's crazy. But I, I, I can't think of anything nicer than when I'm like 80 in my week still going and seeing a vendor. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go see like three vendors a day. But just like one vendor a week where I might pop out or maybe I'd see a vendor one week and then the next week I might meet a finance investor or the next week I might meet my property manager and he go through all the figures. I just I like the idea of keeping my eye in and keeping close to the ground with my properties. And yeah, I, I really that really appeals to me. I, I met with a couple, a, a family rather, and they were two or three generations beyond the person that had built the portfolio this person had um it was their like grandfather or i think it might have even been great grandfather and he bought a hundred or 150 two up two downs in blackpool that area of lancashire anyway their grandparents had inherited it and then their parents had inherited it and now they'd inherited it and of course it was getting more and more dilute because each inheritance meant that it was all split between more people but these guys two of them were across the atlantic i think a few of them were in the uk None of them had been to see any of these properties. I think they'd sold a few off, so they probably had 100 left. In years, they had one letting agent looking after them, and they said, oh, he's doing a great job. We hardly ever have any voids. Well, the reason you hardly ever have any voids is if the rents are too low. (laughs) If you let your tenants stay on the same rents for years and years and years, they generally, and that was the other thing they said, very little maintenance. It's like, yeah, if tenants know they're getting a really good deal, they don't raise their head above the parapet. They they get stuff done themselves or they uh, don't uh, make a fuss, certainly. They know if they're paying 500 quid a month rent and it should be 800, then they know they're onto a good thing. And so, yeah, I think that, level of disjointedness from my portfolio I'd be really uncomfortable with and I think I would enjoy the spark of still doing a bit of negotiating still doing a bit of wheeling dealing you know coming up with solutions and structuring deals together so to combat number two because I don't want to just give you all the negatives I want to give you some success stories I've seen people who have continued to challenge themselves so they've challenged themselves in health I've got one friend who is amazing at charity he's built a school in uganda and then set people up to run it and he's moved on to his next charity he's building up a church at the moment um really really philanthropic guy and that's what excites him he invests in his health he plays tennis and golf every day one or the other or both every day and he does his charities and he keeps his eye in with his business as in his property portfolio he gets up with a purpose every day he has a full diary in his mind he has a full diary i'd look at that diary and i go well that's you know that's really empty but for him and his age and at his level of comfort that's a full diary but it stops him from wallowing and interestingly as a younger man he was an alcoholic and so i think he's very aware of the risks 
And so it protects him almost against going back down that path where he'd have a a hard drink before breakfast. So that's number two, self-destructing slowly because there's a lack of purpose, a lack of importance really, a lack of value. Another friend of mine retired a couple of years ago. Oh my goodness, he ended up on antidepressants. He could not face life without his work. He's gone back now. He's gone back to work. Yeah, he's in his 70s now, early 70s. And it's it's fascinating, isn't it, that we have to have as human beings a purpose. The number of people that die shortly after retirement is massive. It's not a coincidence. Tim Ferriss talks about it. It's because you've lost your purpose in the four-hour work week. Amazing book if you've not read it. Really quite dated now, but still well worth reading. So it's The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. He talks about how hard it is to retire and how we should practice retiring. He talks about mini retirements and lifestyle design and really, really important factors. So that's number two. Number three, they double down on each deal. And what I mean by that is they do, let's say, a 100 grand house and they buy it for 75 and they're really chuffed. And then they do a 200 grand house and it's almost like double or quits each time. So then they do a 400 grand house and then they're like, oh, I could do a million pound deal. There's My next deal is going to be big. It's going to be a million pound deal. But what they miss is that every time they do a deal that they're jumping up. So they're wanting and obviously they don't double every time. But when they're doubling down, when they're going for bigger and bigger deals, the likelihood is we're all going to make multiple mistakes in our careers. We're going to buy properties that don't work as well as we wanted them to. We might even buy properties that lose us money. We're going to buy properties that we thought were going to do ABC and they end up doing XYZ. That's fine because all the good deals outweigh the bad ones. And so overall, you still have a fantastically positive, fantastically successful business. Unless you structure your portfolio in such a way that the first mistake that comes along outweighs all the wins and what's the best way of doing that the best way of doing that is to do bigger and bigger deals each time because you're guaranteeing that when the mistake comes along when the deal that doesn't perform or bombs comes along you're guaranteeing it's going to be the largest deal you've ever done (laughs) and that's just crazy so if you think about it again this is related to number one mistake number one where people get bored and stop doing what was working you're far better off doing 1200 grand deals so a deal a month 100 grand deal because when the deal comes along that's rubbish it's number 13 and you've got 12 good ones of the same magnitude the same value the same cash flow that's going to support that bad one but if you've done a 100 grand deal and then a 200 grand deal and then a 300 grand and then a 600 grand deal now you're at 1.2 million same as the first value but this time the 600 grand deal goes bad it sells for 400 grand for example or it now loses you hmm, two grand a month that's probably going to wipe out all of the success all of the profits that you made on the first few deals and so constantly getting bigger and bigger now you might listen to anything yeah but frank you were saying you need to grow you need to challenge yourself otherwise you stagnate yes but in a sensible way maybe you challenge yourself to get from a 30 handicap down to a 25 handicap maybe that's your challenge or maybe you challenge yourself to go from a half marathon to a marathon or maybe you do challenge yourself to go from a single ast to where you've only bought 
freehold houses before to where you buy a freehold with three or two flats in it so you buy a building that has two or three flats in it and then you buy some more freehold two up two downs to balance it out or you buy a single HMO and you see how that goes and then you buy another 10 single ASTs to balance it out or maybe you buy a holiday let just one and then you buy five ASTs to balance it out and you see what I'm saying I'm saying absolutely grow absolutely explore absolutely learn but don't keep doubling down don't keep going for double or quits I played with my dad once I can remember this I was about eight or so and he said I bet you can't catch this rugby ball it's a new rugby ball we went out in the field and uh, I said I'll catch it so he kicked it as high as he could I caught it. Rugby ball is quite hard to catch because it can sway those of you that play rugby. It's not like a football. It can fall a bit unusually because of the um, aerodynamics. And I caught it. And he was like, wow, really impressed you caught that. But you can't do it again. I said, I can. I bet I can. He said, I'll give you 50p if you can catch it again. So anyway, he kicked it. And I caught it. And he, he said, I'll give you, and he said, all right, I owe you 50p. And he said, or we can do double or quits. I said, what's double or quits, Dad? And he's like, well... If you catch it again, you get a pound. But if you drop it, you lose your 50p. I was like, oh, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And I caught it, didn't I? I caught it. So I was on a pound. He said, do you want to do double or quits? I said, yeah, I love double or quits. Well, he knew he was going to end up paying me nothing because like now I had the green eyes. You know, I was so excited about this, this game that was going to get me some pocket money. And this was in West Wales where we lived on a little small holding. So like I didn't actually get pocket money. Like we were really hard up, actually. So he kicked it. Anyway, I ended up with two two pounds and um he said do you want to go again so definitely definitely said you know you might lose it all yeah 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 but it could be four pounds dad anyway i dropped it on four pounds didn't i so i got to two pounds and then lost it all and i see some property investors doing exactly that it's almost like they're willing themselves to lose and i think there is a lot of that subconscious that they're uncomfortable with their success and so they push themselves to be unsuccessful it's fascinating the psychology around money i've seen business people 20 years ago who were nearly successful and you come across them occasionally you see them on facebook or you bump into them at a networking event and they're still nearly successful and you think oh i know people that were nobody's 20 years ago and now are amazingly successful by their definition of success so what is it that's held you back and obviously you don't say this to them but I think it's myself and I think well it's nothing else like that other person didn't have more money that other person didn't have more support didn't have more knowledge weren't luckier with anything in particular they just must have had a stronger mindset and a healthier mindset that's number three number four could be confused with number three but it's subtly different so number four I've written down is go into something new in a big way and bet the farm and so this isn't where number three was you buy a buy-to-let and then you buy a bigger buy-to-let and then maybe you buy a, an even bigger buy-to-let and then you buy a block of, of buy-to-lets, etc. It's not that. It's where someone gets really excited. It's almost magpie syndrome. But when newbie investors get magpie syndrome, and by that I mean it's also called shiny object syndrome, but basically where they hear something on YouTube or they f hear about something or they find out about something. They go, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. They go on the course and they pay a few grand and they start some marketing and then it isn't quite the panacea that they expected it to be. So it doesn't quite perform as they wanted. They might have expected it to bring in an easy three grand a month and instead it brings in a really hard 
£150 a month. That's not at all common. That's really normal for a new business. The 150 is a bonus, actually. It might lose you 300 a month. Newbie investors then often will go, ah, oh, this isn't quite right for me. What else is there? And then they'll find a guru or a trainer or whomever who's talking about something else. And they think, ah, oh, that would be good. I could do that. That'd be an amazing um opportunity that'd be an amazing strategy and they go and do that so newbie investors do magpie syndrome on a small scale they'll only put a couple of grand in because they haven't got tens of thousands of pounds have they and they'll only do a small deal because they can't get finance on a five million pound property so if they want to do service accommodation for example they'll go buy a little cottage by the sea or they'll buy a city center apartment and they'll start renting it out on airbnb and how far wrong can you go? You know, they might have got their numbers a bit wrong and maybe they only break even, like I said, rather than making a few grand a month. But they've only done one and they're in quite a small way. So mistake four for sophisticated, experienced investors is the same principle of I'm going to go try something new. Maybe it's because they're bored. Maybe it's tied in with number one, you know, getting bored and stopping doing what was working. Or they keep doing what's working, especially if they've got 20, 30, 40, 50 houses. You know, they're not going to get rid of those. So they're going to keep those ticking by. But then they go in to something new, but not like a novice investor because they're not excited by making a grand a month or two grand a month off a new venture. Because they're already bringing in 20 or 30 grand a month, they go in really big. So they're like, right, let's do 10 service accommodations. So let's find a block and they'll go and buy a block in the city centre. Not a block, but, you know, a whole floor, 10, 10 flats in a block. Or they'll go to the beach and they'll buy a, a row of holiday chalets or something on the beach because they've got the money behind them, because they've got the finance behind them. And because they think they're knowledgeable enough, but they're not knowledgeable enough because it's a new arena for them. They're very knowledgeable and very experienced in what they've done to become successful. So if that's single SDs or HMOs in their town, whatever it is, they're successful at that. But the number of business owners that see success in one area and then go into another area thinking they're going to be equally successful. I'm going through this pain at the moment with my martial arts franchise. I know franchising really well and I think I'm pretty knowledgeable at business but there's so much about this business that I don't know. If I was starting and building a martial arts school on my own, oh I would have made so many mistakes. I would have been a million miles behind where I am at the moment. And the reason I'm so far ahead is because I've got a business partner, Gordon Bertram, who has had martial arts schools for 20 years. He's really successful at building them, really successful at mentoring martial arts school owners. And so he is plugging those gaps in my knowledge. And that's where the synergy comes about. I've got business experience he hasn't got. I've got franchising experience he hasn't got. But he's got martial arts experience and martial arts school experience. And the two combined means that we move forward more quickly than either of us on our own. But I'm partnering with Gordon because I recognize I don't have enough experience in this arena. Whereas lots of property people think, well, I'm a property expert. There's loads of things I'd be really nervous about doing. I'd be really nervous about letting a commercial property out to a blue chip company because they'd be better equipped from a legal perspective than I am. 
Like their lawyers would be better than my lawyers. I'd be, I wouldn't not do it. I would do it, but I'd be cautious because I know I've never done that before. I've never had a PLC as a tenant. The likelihood of that being a really small property, by the way, and really cheap and fitting into my portfolio in a balanced way is quite slim. So if that was a three or five million pound property that I was also letting out to a blue chip in a different part of the country to where I normally invest, all of a sudden the risks are going through the roof. There's an operational risk. I've not done this before. There's a geographical risk. I don't know the area. There's a economic risk. I don't know the tenants. All of that multiplies the risks. And I see people, experienced people, going into new areas only to come out of them 12, 18, 24 months later, hundreds of thousands of pounds worse off. And the problem is, and I, I could give you examples of people that have done this, it's normally on the shiny strategy of the moment so i've seen it with rent to rent i saw it with service accommodation i've seen it with all kinds of people who are basically looking for a shortcut but the irony is they've already got success but they're looking for the shortcut to even more success and because they have a bigger stake they can put down a lot more compared to the people and it's often high d people often high i people because they're a bit faster paced a bit more aggressive a bit more competitive a bit more comfortable with risk i'm talking about disprofiling here the high c people and the high s people who are happy to just slowly slowly catch a monkey you know that expression they're just happy to and i was going to say plod maybe that's the right word but um, that makes it sound boring i think it's really exciting to build on a gradual basis there's a personality profiling model created by roger hamilton it's called wealth dynamics well worth doing i think the test costs about 99 pounds or 99 dollars well worth doing and it will show you the best way for you to create wealth i think there's 12 different profiles that slow accumulation of assets i think it's the lord profile l-o-r-d from memory and my first business partner i've still got 16 17 properties with him he was a lord profile i could never understand until years later why i wanted to be so much more aggressive and he wanted to go nice and slowly and just accumulate safely. Later on when I did this and I realized, I recognized in him that he had that law profile. And it was just, not, neither was better or worse, but we had different profiles. And so if you have a more aggressive, more dynamic profile, you have to be aware of it and not allow that to self-sabotage, not allow that to to undermine your business really your financial freedom so that was number four so the fifth and final mistake that i see experienced sophisticated investors make is they expect the environment in which they're investing to be constant and it's not it changes all the time and they seem to get angry about oh you know the government bringing this in or it's so unfair woe is me I don't think that's a healthy mindset because if you're hoping everything's going to stay the same, you're not growing. You're in a position of fear. You're in a position of scarcity. You have to expect things to evolve. And with those evolutions or with that evolution comes opportunity, which is why I think it's healthy to keep your eye in and why it's healthy to stay in the game because you are going to have a pandemic or a credit crunch or three percent stamp duty hit you or we were talking in my mastermind recently about what's coming you know a ton of legislation for 
serviced accommodation or holiday lets, a rent freeze as they've got in Scotland at the moment, six months notice to evict a tenant as they've got in Wales at the moment. There are things that are going to happen moving forwards that none of us can predict. Those will pose challenges to us in our property businesses as well as opportunities in our property businesses but I have seen too many investors rely on oh they'll never do that I can't honestly say they'll never do anything I was gonna say never do nothing but I think that might be incorrect English I'm not sure (laughs) but I can't rule anything out I was thinking well they couldn't take my portfolio from me no they could they took them off a load of Russian dudes (laughs) those Russian dudes weren't necessarily shooting machine guns at people they just made friends with some politicians and those politicians years later did something that our government disagreed with so we just took their yachts off them and took their property and you go and you might be sat there thinking yeah but i'm not russian we have compulsory purchase in this country when the government want to build a road they can just take your house off you obviously they have to give you some money but they get to choose how much they give you <laughs> sounds crazy isn't it but it actually is it's all pretty flimsy and and, and you think yeah but you know they can't we're a capitalist society they can't they can't do anything unfair well what about what about mortgage rate relief you're sat there with a property and it makes you a hundred pounds a month quite an expensive property maybe 500 grand property right and it makes you a hundred pound a month and you pay your income tax on that maybe you're a lower rate taxpayer so maybe you pay is it 18 percent? i think it is for lower rate taxpayer so you pay your 18 pound a month in tax that all seems fair you put 72 pounds a month into your pocket perfect but then they bring this rule in that says well actually we're going to tax you on your turnover not on your profit you you say hang on no 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 other business in this country there's no other business that hmrc taxes on its income you always tax on profit otherwise the tax could make you unprofitable and so um that can't be right and that's what a load of landlords did and they argued and i think sherry blair qc got involved and they lost. HMRC now tax residential property landlords on turnover, not profit. So that person that was making £100 and then putting £72 a month into their pocket and paying £18 tax now might be paying £300 tax a month. So they might actually have to pay £200 tax out of their own pocket to HMRC. There is no tax in this country that I'm aware of that can put you into loss making. Residential property landlords are in that unique position. And a few years ago, we would have thought, no chance. No, the government can't do that. Can you imagine if the government decided to do that for bakeries? Yes, if you're a bakery, we're now gonna tax you based on the, the square footage of your bakery. And you might go, yeah, yeah, but I don't make many buns. I don't sell many buns. No, we don't care. Yeah, but your tax is going to make me loss-making. Your tax is actually more than the profit that we have. Yeah, never mind. We've just decided. But we're going to bring it in over four years, so don't worry about it. So next year, you'll still make a bit of profit. And the year after, you'll break even. But the year after that, yeah, you'll be loss-making. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, I sound political. I'm not political in any way because I think I'd get quite wound up if I actually uh, was political. So what I say is, look, the politicians do the best job they possibly can. And sometimes they do stuff that really helps me in my business. And sometimes they do stuff that (laughs) really doesn't. But I recognise they're doing the best job they possibly can. And 
I don't honestly think I could do a better job. I think if I was in Liz Truss's shoes now, I don't think I could do a better job than her. So, and I certainly wouldn't want to do it. I certainly enjoy what I do a lot more than I would enjoy being a politician. So, I'm just going to let them crack on with it. They're going to make the rules, and then I'm going to play the game based on those rules. That's what I've decided I'm going to do. But I have to be mindful that those rules change all the time. The environment is constantly shifting. And so, like Grenfell, you might have had a portfolio of high-rise flats, and all of a sudden, you can't refinance them and you can't sell them. Not for like a few months, which would be understandable while the market sorts it out. For years, years and years, those properties are like unsaleable and unmortgageable. That, that's just a black swan event that no one foresaw. These black swan events come about all the time. They're really common. If you're a newbie, if you've done a few deals or you haven't yet done your first deal, let this podcast motivate you to grow in a sensible way, to grow in a manner that will continue to increase your profits, continue to increase your net worth and continue to build wealth for you safely. Guys, until next time. Happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.